It's quite a remarkable time in any church service. There's a number of expectations and, 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 and things that are happening here. For once, I've, done, I've had, had a squashed week. I've been away on a pastoral retreat this week, so my preparation's been squashed. And, but I've still put in a fair bit of work to get some notes here so that I can get us engaged in what the Bible says. Now, my expectation of you is that you will listen and pay attention while I talk. Now, that's, I have to say that's quite some expectation because it's not easy to sit and listen while someone else talks on and on and on and on. And I think your expectation for me is that I will be clear and engaging and that I will make it easy for you to sit and listen. And the reason that we do this, and the reason I've put in lots of work, is I think, as I see it, we want to get into God's story. We want to know the Creator. We want to know His purposes. We want to find ourselves within God's story, God's Word, God's world, so that we can understand how better to live our lives and have hope. For the future. So what we are about to do, as we do this every Sunday, is really quite a significant, almost a, I'm, I'm almost expecting a miracle here. So we're going to pray for that miracle because we can only do this as God helps us, um, as God speaks to our heart through his work and say, Lord, enter us. So let's pray. Father God, may this time really truly be profitable for you and your kingdom, for us and our growth. May we find ourselves caught up in your story and your purposes and in that find hope and life. Help me to be clear and convicting in what I say. Help people to listen attentively. Give us joy even in this time we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I recently read a book my father gave to me called Psalm Mud. It was written by a fellow called Edward Lynch. Edward volunteered to join the Australian Infantry Force in 1916 as a young teenage boy. He was sent over with lots of expectation with all of his mates to first the UK where he was trained and then sent to France and before long he was straight into the Somme battle on the Western Front. And the Somme was madness. It was sheer madness. It was mud. It was the coldest winter in decades. Everything was mud. There were shells. There were soldiers on both sides just trying to survive, let alone fight, being sent out on mad attacks for trenches as trenches just went boom, 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 boom for months on end through a freezing, wet winter. As you watched your friends get slaughtered, as you walked along and saw dead bodies and corpses everywhere, as you walked out into the hail of bullets and felt the shells exploding just near you and watched your mate get hit and fall. Madness. Edward Lynch wrote his stories down. It wasn't just the Somme. Then he stayed all the way through to the end and battle after battle and madness after madness. Unbelievable story. And that was just his story. 39% of men aged 18 to 44 in Australia signed up to go overseas to join the First World War. 61,000 of those men, 61,500 of those men were died in France or Turkey, or wherever they were, or Belgium. 
155,000 of them were wounded. There was a 65% casualty rate. Two out of three became a casualty. Edward Lynch was injured three times, three times back to the hospital, three times back to the front. Remarkable that he didn't die. Why did they do this? Well, the book does explore that. There's a sense of mateship. My mates are doing this. I've got to do a sense of honour. I don't want to be the coward. There was a strong sense of them of king and country that mattered. And there was a strong sense of justice that what is happening in Europe is wrong. And we need to resist this expansionistic forces coming from Germany and Austria. We need to stop the invasion. We need peace. We need justice. World War I was unspeakably awful. It was the war to end all wars. And at the end of the war, the Allies made Germany pay. Economically deprived, all sorts of sanctions and all sorts of payments because they started the war and so many people suffered. And... There wasn't peace in Germany. People became really embittered. In fact, there was this leader of this crazy political party who rose up. He actually fought in World War I. He was particularly embittered. He started promoting that the German people need to establish a Third Reich, a third rule of their great kingdom and their great peoples, a third thousand-year reign where the Germanic people would rule over indeed the whole earth and there would be a kingdom of peace and there would be justice led by the Germanic peoples. We'll get rid of the gypsies, we'll get rid of the Jews, we'll get rid of those who are disabled. Because we will establish justice and peace and, a, and this wonderful new kingdom. And this man, Adolf Hitler, was so persuasive that the whole nation rose up in agreement. They were united in their desire to win this peace that Hitler promised. And what we had was another six years of absolute madness. More and more people slaughtering one another so many more millions died. So much, the conflict spread across the whole world. 50 million was the last estimate I found of people who died directly as the result of World War II. And it ended and there was a peace and today with that peace came the rise in power of communist Russia and the coming down of the Iron Curtain and the introduction to the nuclear age and a decades-long Cold War. They were the fruits of peace when people went and said, we can't let Hitler do this. We can't let Japan just expand all over Asia and the Pacific. We need to fight for justice. And the outcome? The communist empire, nuclear age, Cold War. And today, despite all of this fighting for peace... The injustices continue, wars continue, oppression continues, and all John Lennon can say is, can't we just give peace a chance? We all want to say, yes, John, but I want to say, but John, who do I trust? Trust. 
Will I trust the, the dictator who says, thousand years of peace, follow me? We all hope and long for justice. A justice that will bring an end to war and conflict and that will lead to lasting peace. And we long for a justice, therefore, that will bring an end to injustice and wickedness and pride and envy and jealousy that will destroy these distorted ideologies that promote peace as long as everyone bows the knee to this ideology, whether it be Nazism or communism or Adjoism. Israel longed for justice. The people of Israel had a great hope for justice, particularly centred on their kingdom, their city. We read in the Psalms, two Psalms of Ascent, Psalm 120, David says, I rejoice with those who said to me, let's go up to the house of the Lord. This is the temple. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. This is where the tribes go up. The tribes of the Lord, they're going up to Jerusalem to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There in Jerusalem stand the thrones for judgment. The thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be justice and peace. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you, Jerusalem. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. I want this justice. I want this peace. I want this prosperity, says David. If we go to Psalm 125... Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. This is a mountain in Jerusalem, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and evermore. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous. For then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. There'll be no wickedness in Jerusalem Lord, do good to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart, but those who turn to crooked ways, the unjust, the Lord will banish them with the evil deals. Peace be on Israel. Mount Zion. 2,800 years ago, the prophet Micah was longing for the peace of Jerusalem, for that security. But... Israel, whether it be the northern kingdom around Samaria or the southern kingdom in Jerusalem, was full of injustice. The rich and the powerful, the rulers, the judges, the religious leaders were tearing the country apart. They were seizing land and taking bribes and ripping the people to pieces, Micah says, like a butcher. So Micah speaks against this. In chapter 3, Johnny looked at this last week with us. He says, As for me, says Micah, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might 
to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. I will speak out against this situation. And so Micah pronounces the Lord's judgment. Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort everything that's right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. This is how you're leading Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they say, they look for the Lord's support, and they say, is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. Uh Uh-uh, says Micah. Therefore, because of you, Zion, that is Jerusalem, will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. How could that happen? This is Jerusalem. This is the city of God. What about the peace that's been promised? This is God's city, God's temple, God's presence is in this city. And yet this city was a city of injustice. This city was an insult. This city was a contradiction. And God will not let his city be a contradiction. So he speaks judgment. This city, Jerusalem, will become a heap of rubble, which is a shocking thing to say. But it happened. 150 years after Micah, as the city continued to be unjust and wicked, the Babylonians came and literally turned Jerusalem into rubble. Where is the peace there, though? Good one, God. Where is the peace when you're walking around rubble, when you've got the Babylonians with their injustice, when everything is ruined, and the temple, the symbol of your presence with us, it's gone. It's as if God's gone. Where's the peace? And what of the promises? And what of the faithful who remain faithful? What of the weak and the poor and the powerless? What about those who have been taken in exile? Away from here, what hope have we got? See, these are obvious questions. Where is God? The God who's bringing peace? That's chapter 3 of Micah. Chapter 4 restates God's promise, his absolute commitment to peace for his people. This passage is paralleled in Isaiah 2. It would seem that it was a familiar message of the time, 8th century BC. And this passage tells us, despite the promise of judgment for sin, there remains a glorious hope for Jerusalem, the people of God. There will be a remarkable reign of peace. God's judgment that is coming will bring peace. It will, and this peace will be glorious and eternal. And so Micah chapter 4 is actually hope for us as well because we still live amongst the injustice and the rubble and the ruins and an outworking of God's judgment. We live with false ideologies that offer hope and destroy. Micah begins with the promise that there will be a new Jerusalem. Now, in the Old Testament, God was Lord over all the earth. 
But Jerusalem, there he had his temple. There he had the king from David's line who would reign over the people, who was the anointed one. Jerusalem was the place where God was pleased to reveal himself. That was the place where he would be worshipped directly. And up high, there is Mount Zion, where the temple's located. So we have this ancient fortified city with ramparts and walls. And Micah says it's all coming down. It'll be rubble, but out of that rubble will come a greater Jerusalem. One that is vastly superior. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and people will stream to it. Mike is not talking about physical geography. There are plenty of other higher mountains, even in the region. Micah is talking about a sense of supremacy. If you go and you look at a mountain landscape, if you're in the mountains, your eye naturally gravitates towards the highest mountain. And if you're like me, the highest mountain almost always seems to call, saying, come to me, look, climb me, conquer me. So glorious will be Mount Zion that it will capture everyone's attention and people will stream up to it even as the rivers stream down it. There will be a flood, a reverse flood of people going up the mountain because this is where God is revealed. From here, from that mountain, the word of the Lord flows down and out. Many nations will come and say, come, let's go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths, and the law will go out from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. They're all going to come like tourists, people from every nation, and they're going to be full of eager expectation. It's like, hey, I'm in Japan, let's go see Mount Fuji. It's like I'm in America. Let's go to Mount Rainier. Let's go to Mount Rushmore. It's like I'm in the outback and say, let's go and look at Uluru. We're so excited. They're willing. They're desirous to go to Mount Zion to be where God is revealed. And not just to be there so they might see him or see the mountain, but so that they may be changed that they may learn and that they may drink from the word of the Lord which pours forth from that place so that they might walk in paths of righteousness, that they may walk humbly with their God. They're so excited. In fact, this is a beautiful picture of humility with our theme of humility. All this sense of pride that I am better than God, of rejecting the Lord or ignoring the Lord or saying, get out of my life, it's all gone as people instead say, no, I want to be where God is. I want his law. I want to do what he says. I want to be there. I'm seeking him. I'm submitting to his rule. I want to do his will, not my own. Because that is my greatest delight. 
Can you see this is this new Jerusalem? Something's different. Something has changed. You see, the reason there is a new Jerusalem is because Micah is describing for us a new age. There's a new dynamic at work. There's an age of justice which has been wrought by God himself and all the madness, all the injustice, all the warfare, it's done and dusted. No more. Instead, there are, it's a crowd of people from every nation willingly submitting themselves to the judgment and the justice of God. He, verse 3, will judge between many peoples. And he will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. And they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. We spend so much on military armaments and security and policing. Think of North Korea. So they have 40% of their GDP and there's people starving as they spend money on war materials. Imagine if that was all converted into farming or, product or infrastructure. All that energy and all that money and all that expense. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. There will be no worrying about Russia or North Korea or China or terrorists. For the Lord Almighty has spoken. There will be no more envy or resentment or jealousy or covetousness. There will be no more grasping. You won't have to keep up with the Joneses or the Tans or the Doshis because you won't need to. Everyone will be satisfied. Everyone will be content. And of course, I have a room here full of people who are satisfied with their lot, haven't I? I have enough. I can sit under my own fig tree. The Doshi's fig tree is about three times bigger than mine, but it's okay. I'm content. There's no need to go to war. Why would you go to war? We've got everything we need. Wouldn't it be much better if we just all willingly submitted to the righteous judge who is our peace and let him sort things out and make sure we've got enough? There is now no longer hostility with God, rebellion against him, and so it works out. It goes hand in hand. There is no longer hostility with others. We trust him with my neighbor. There's that spiritual, African-American spiritual I'm going to lay down my sword and shield. Down, from this, from Micah, down by the riverside, down by the riverside. I'm going to lay down my sword and shield, going to study war no more, ain't going to study war no more, ain't going to study war no more. What's it all about? Why are they laying their sword and shield down by the riverside and not studying war anymore? Because the riverside is a symbol for baptism in that spiritual it's the spirit side of when I come before the God, the maker of heaven and earth, and I throw myself upon him, 
and I submit to him and his rule, when I get baptized, that's it. I'm done. Sword and shield, don't need you anymore. Studying war, fighting, don't need it anymore. I'm a child of the king. I've submitted to the Lord. He is my judge. Ain't going to study war no more. That's not the world we live in, is it? It's not the current age. We live in an age of armies. At a societal level, I'm not a pacifist because there's Hitlers out there. But there is a coming age, a fundamentally new age, which will be populated by people who are willingly living under the king of glory, under the reign of the living God. It's there in verse 5. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods. They may continue to follow and serve whatever they want, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. You see, there's a new Jerusalem because there's a new age. There is a new age because we've come upon a new king and a new kingdom. It's a new reign. And it's all God's doing. It's his reign. It's his salvation. There's a wonderful restoration for those who have been in distress. Even the exiled remnant returns. So verse 6 and 7. The reign and the kingdom to come. In that day, this day to come, I will gather the lame, I will assemble the exiles, and those I have brought to grief, I will make the lame my remnant. Those driven away a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. The Lord will rule. That's the key. Do you know Handel's Messiah? He will reign forever and ever. King of kings. Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he shall reign forever and ever. Ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah, King of kings. If you know Handel's Messiah, it's wonderful. That's the promise. And we're back full circle. This rain brings us back to Jerusalem, verse 8. As for you, watchtower of the flock, stronghold of daughter Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you, you who were ruined and rubble. The former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to daughter Jerusalem. See, God's going to restore a remnant of his people. Yes, there will be judgment. But this judgment will bring peace, lasting peace. And God will establish justice and there will be a new age and peoples from every nation will flock to be where God is, to come under his rule, because their justice is revealed and peace reigns. And the kingdom's restored and the promises are fulfilled and there is new life and new hope and it's eternal and it's for all peoples. Realized not through human effort. You're not going to find it by following the promises of the Third Reich. 
You're not going to find it because we finally fought a war that will end all wars. Or because you have a peacemaker missile. Now this peace will come through the judgment of the maker of all mankind. The God who reigns. The God who is judge of all the earth. Now we, unlike Micah, live... Here's the thing. It's a great promise. We live on the cusp of this new age. Indeed, it could be said that we live in this new age, this latter day. The day has broken. Morning has broken. What's that song? doesn't matter. For those who call upon Jesus as Saviour and Lord, for them there has been a judgment, a dreadful judgment, a horrific judgment that has brought peace. And through that devastating judgment, we've entered a new day, the start, the dawn of a new day, this day of hope and light and truth, and peace, and future. We've entered through Jesus into God's day. See, judgment was enacted against our injustice, against our rebellion and warfare, when God the eternal judge came in flesh into this war-torn world of injustice and strife. And Jesus, the Son of God, lived in this pain and this injustice and this strife. And he walked amongst the rubble, restoring it where he was able. But he, the righteous Son of God, chose to bear the ultimate injustice, the ultimate crime, as he took our sin upon him, and faced our just penalty on our behalf as he was executed on the cross of Calvary. And on that day, 2,000 years ago, God's fearful judgment fell in Jerusalem. The sky turned dark and blood was spilled and Jesus the righteous Son of God breathed his last. And God's wrath was poured out on his one and only Son. I will not let this injustice and this wickedness and this rebellion go unpunished. I will not turn aside from it. God's wrath was poured on Jesus so it could be turned aside from us who earned it. That was not the end. That was the judgment, but the peace, the new day was still to come. On the third day, Jesus burst forth from the grave as he was raised to new life. And he is now ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father on high, King of kings and Lord of lords, judge of of all the earth, and he becomes for us the first fruits of God's new day, the new age to come. 
this remnant that will be saved begins with the Lord Jesus who passed through the judgment for us. And those of us who trust in Jesus, who put our faith in him, we are adopted. We are welcomed into the people of God. The people, the remnant for this new age. We, we call it often the church. And the church, as we're told in 1 Corinthians 3.15, is now the temple of the living God, in which God dwells by his spirit. The people of God are the temple. The writer to the Hebrews speaks about those who have trusted in the risen Lord Jesus. And he says, listen, Jesus is much better than the old covenant. In the old covenant, you'd go to Mount Sinai where the law was, and it's scary and it's fearful and it's awful. But we don't go to where the law was, having to follow laws and rules. No, no, no. This is what the writer to the Hebrews says. But you who trust in Jesus, you have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God. You have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. You have, you have come to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, you have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. The church in which God dwells by his spirit have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the gathered assembly, to the church, to Jesus, the mediator. We have entered the new age already in Christ. We have come to the new Jerusalem already in Christ. We are under the reign of the mighty king of peace, the prince of peace, already in Christ. But you know that when you walk out of here, even in here, because it's a bit rough in here, that the war continues and the injustice continues and it even continues in your own heart. See, we are living between the ages The new age has begun in our Lord and Saviour. And his people have been called into that new age. But there's still plenty of rubble and injustice. And we wait for the return of the Lord Jesus when he comes and brings the kingdom in its fullness. And we live in the age where God is calling people to himself, calling out the remnant through his church as his agent. One day, Jesus will come, and that day of calling will stop. We live between the now and the not yet, fixing our eyes on Jesus, rejoicing in the now we have in him, but looking forward to our eternal hope. John tells us about this hope in his vision of Revelation. This is really, I believe, Micah's vision, Micah chapter 4. But now I outlined in the light of what Jesus has done. 
and the return of the Lord Jesus. Revelation 21, John sees in his vision, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Something new for the new age. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw, get this, the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God to earth prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now amongst his people. God's presence. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. (laughs) And it's going to be no more war. No more injustice. And there will be no more death. And no more mourning and crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Hallelujah. What a day, what a city. Oh, what a, another spiritual. Oh, what a beautiful city. Oh, what a beautiful city. Twelve gates to that city. Hallelujah. One for me there, one for you. Oh, what a beautiful city. And people will stream up to this city in glory and hope. It'll have 12 gates. It will shine with the glory of God. And in 20, chapter, Revelation 21, verse 22, John says, I didn't see his temple in the city. Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb, the Lord Jesus, is its light. And then we're told that a river runs out of this city. And beside this river there grows the tree of life. And the leaves of those trees are for the healing of the nations. Because there will be peace. And all peoples will be able to come and flock up to this city and find healing and wholeness. And there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. The Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. It's an eternal kingdom under the new king in a new age, in a new Jerusalem, a kingdom of justice and peace and wholeness. My mate, Paul Hopwood, many of you will know him, some of you won't. He was a good friend, a lecturer at Sydney Uni in vet science. He died in his early 60s from cancer. Um, I visited Paul. I think I certainly visited him the day before he died, and I think I visited him on the day that he died very weak and Paul would say I'm going to the new Jerusalem I've read the travel brochures it's pretty good can't wait to get there I'm going to the new Jerusalem and I've read the travel brochure that is the future hope we live between these ages 
we in Christ, we're there already. We're people of the new day. We're people called to live under the reign of Jesus. People of humility and honor and glory and praise. People called to be agents like Jesus was of justice and peace. People working in the ruins for restoration. Working for the end of warfare. Working against injustice. Pointing to the glory of the coming. The king who will reign who is Jesus my peace. The prince of peace. The eternal king. And so we pray. I hope you pray. We pray as we live between these ages. As we read Micah 4, come Lord Jesus. Come. Come and fix it up, Lord. Come and take me home. Come and give me peace. Amen.